from legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au. Coming up, a departure from politics in this episode. Gary Edwards is my special guest. He is part of the famous Edwards family and for a number of years was a vital cog in the management and operation of that icon of Ipswich retailing, R.T. Edwards & Sons. But Gary wasn't always involved in the business. So if you love local Ipswich history, keep listening. It's Friday, July 24, 2020, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. I caught up with Gary Edwards in his office. First of all, Gary Edwards, thank you very much for talking to Ipswich today. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Alan. We've got to pick somewhere to start with the Edwards family history. So let's start in 1931. That was the year your grandfather started in business as a solo trader. What did your dad tell you about those years? Uh, Alan, I know from dad, he actually kept my grandfather's bike. He started, he lost his job just as he qualified as apprentice from the railway workshop. And um, he always tells the story that he borrowed five pound from his auntie Rose. And um, we still have the push bike that he started going door to door around Ipswich, um, doing electrical um, repairs and things like that. And dad used to often say that, um, you know, obviously dad wasn't born at that stage, but as a young fella, how tough it was, but he made a lot of very loyal customers over the time. And if I could just tell you, Alan, when we celebrated our 75th um, anniversary, we had a, a bit of a competition for the oldest receipt, and someone had a handwritten one from my grandfather from 1934, where he, and I won't tell you the price, what he did for a pound, um, doing some electrical work, but a lot around that um, North Ipswich, um, you know, some of the oldest suburbs of Ipswich, that's where he was door to door doing uh, electrical repairs and installation. So your grandfather was just a straight-ahead electrician? Absolutely, yep. So he um, qualified as an electrician, yep, and um, in the Depression he lost his um, job, so he had to find something to um, support himself at that stage. Transitioning from a tradesman on a push bike to the first shop, that would have been a big step. Do you know when that happened? Not not exactly sure, um, Alan, but um, it would have happened uh, um, mid-1950s, and um, he, because he started um, for quite a while in the electrical contracting side, but when he started, it was in East Street, just down from uh, 66 East Street, our main showroom. Um, it was an old cake shop, and um, his first employees were um, a couple of relatives, and um, we have a couple of photos of the of his appliances in those days, a choice of like one toaster, two wash machines, and things like that. But um, yes, he started in East Street. So at the time, the major department store would have been crib and foot. So he was he was the little guy starting up in opposition to the big guys. Yeah, not only Crib and Foots, but he often used to tell me the story that he was a little guy against a couple of well-known um, electrical contractors and things like that, that a lot, a lot of them thought he was um, trying to punch above his weight, even starting in a business. He, he found it very competitive when he first started. Let's fast forward a little bit to uh, when you were born. What are your first memories? Oh, Alan, that's going back a few years now, but um, um, Mum and Dad um, lived in uh, Roderick Street, right next door to St Andrew's Hospital. And so I always remember this was nowhere near the size now. There was an old house where the matron used to live. But on that, on the other side, there was a little neighbourhood of um, a lot of mates that I still remember, Mark and Andrew and things like that, playing in the sand peak and, and climbing the local, um, local, local tree in the backyard. And, you know, 
um, came from a really loving family and it was a really close little neighbourhood, about three or four homes there in Roderick Street. And what about uh, trips away from that little nook in Ipswich, uh, mm. family activities on the weekend, that sort of thing? Two major ones, um, um, Alan, was my dad always had a love of um, the land, farm, and I remember him in 1966, I was a very young fellow at the time, buying his first property out at Ripley, which we still own, and just going out there with our, our my favourite horse was Shorty, that we had for the next 17 years, so just over time, as Dad could afford it, um, buying some rural property all around the Ipswich area, and the other great um, thing I always remember was uh, Coast Hollows with all the extended family. Um, my grandfather bought a place down in um, Labrador, units we all used to share together, playing on the, uh, in the Broadwater and the, um, down at Southport. Well, that's interesting. So is it fair to say you bucked the trend? Because I, I thought the, uh, the Ipswich Convention was to, the southern Gold Coast would be invaded, and that was called Little Ipswich. That's right. No, yeah, I know. Yeah, but I, I remember, no, no, we were on the, on the north side up there, but we always just loved the Broadwater, you know, going water skiing and fishing in those areas up there with all the cousins. Well, the population of the city was a lot less uh, back in those days. Could you sort of talk us through a bit of a snapshot of what Ipswich was like? What, what, what were the features that stick in your mind? that everybody knew everybody. And I always remember, Alan, the, th- the thing that really demonstrated that to me it was uh, 1974 flood. I was just about to start um, grammar school and um, because the floods um, extended the holidays and just at the time we had quite a few of our premises flooded and just the people who turned up to help. And um, I think that was the thing that always um, impressed on Dad and made it as part of our um, company always helping other people. They're just the people who came out, the staff, everyone... Um, was just part of assistance to get us going because we virtually were completely wiped out that time. I remember Dad always says that was the closest he ever came to, pardon the pun, going under. That's interesting you talk about 1974 in those terms because that's that's our image of the 2011 flood. Mm. And I think the difference might be there just wasn't the concentration of media coverage back in 1974. So what you're saying, mm. it was a very similar mud army to the rescue. Absolutely. People come out of everywhere helping and... and other, everyone was helping each other at that time. And this is one of those early memories I spoke in Ipswich. And the other thing about Ipswich was just, I guess, because um, both um, my family, um, both sides, had been long established for several generations Ipswich. People knew each other, cousins, relatives, and things like that. You'd always go, and I was always um, involved in a church out at Raceview. And just that real community that people would know each other and support each other no matter what was happening. And how were your school years? You mentioned Ipswich Grammar mm-hmm. back then. What, what, what are the highlights of your school years? Oh, my school years, Alan, I, I started off, um, because I lived right in centre there, I went to um, Ipswich Central Boys and I had the distinction of being, they closed the school after I finished in year seven and it merged with um, the girls' school and became Ipswich Central. And um, um, grammar school, it was um, one I always remember um, as a young fella. My cousin Mark Edwards um, was at grammar. He's a few years older than me, just put that on the record but um, him and his dad Lou would pick me up every morning going um, up to the um, grammar school so we'd always be talking about the current affairs what was happening in Ipswich and things like that I remember for you know every morning doing that and at grammar school my um, my chosen sport was soccer I love soccer and cross country they were my two ones up there and um, I guess from an academic point of view um, was like um, the histories the maths and um, the sciences I loved at school. By the time you reached grade 12 and senior, did you have a career path in mind? Absolutely, Alan, but it never went to the way I thought. I loved tech drawing at school and I thought I'd become an architect. So um, I, um, Dad, had, obviously he was an electrician by trade and things like that, so he had never anything to do with the university. So he took me down to, I just started having like open nights down there. So I went to um, sign up to um, do architecture and then while I was there, Dad goes, oh, there's commerce, you know, he said, that might be of interest. So I went over there and it was the guy on the night, and I still remember his name, um, 
really just really sold me on how that by doing a commerce degree could open up to accounting, business and things like that. So end up enrolling in that, went to uni and um, qualified. And then I, after uni, I became a uh, chartered accountant. Yeah, you set out on your own path. You really weren't involved in the family business at all of that period, were you? No, no, I, I was really um, almost, you could say, a deliberate strategy. I want to have my own career. So I worked for um, Arthur Anderson. They were based in Brisbane and I used to do assurance work all around Australia with them and they gave me the opportunity to work in Los Angeles for 12 months and I specialised in mergers and acquisitions. So I probably worked for them for about five, six years and I got to the stage where in my career to the next level of um, in the promotion scale and that's when um, Dad always said if I ever was interested he would always welcome me back in the business. Um, in those stages we had three stores, Ipswich, Baval and Goodner. And Dad always said he he had a store at Warwick but had to close that down, he said, because he was running the business. At that stage, we probably had about 80, 90 staff. And he just said, look, I can't, you know, physically, I can't grow it anymore. And he always said that he was great hands-on, but he said, I think he was very good at business, but he said, that's when he'd like a bit of expertise. And he said, at my time, um, if I'd like to, to join him. So what period was that with, with only the three stores? What year are we talking about? Mid, late 80s. Yeah, so, and, and that was one of the things that when I came in, he deliberately said to me, he gave me two of the hardest areas in the, in the business, and that was our radio TV section was losing money and our furniture business. And he, and he wanted to, um, gave me the opportunity to completely independently to, to run them, to get them up into profitable, and they actually turned into very good parts of our business. And by doing that, then I had the opportunity that Dad said he would always look after the Ipswich, and that's when we started um, expanding. So um, we um, got up to over 20, 30, uh, 20 22 stores, and um, it was often we would um, look at um, other family businesses would come to us and said, look, they'd want to sell out or things like that. So we bought stores um, all throughout um, southeast Queensland. Coming in as the son of the owner would have made for some interesting dynamics with staff who'd been there a long time. Were, were they looking at you with suspicion? Oh, that's a good question, Alan. I must admit, I was felt really welcomed. And you're right, a lot of our staff, we used to have a honour board for those who served over 25 years. And we had a lot of staff who had started their apprenticeships with, apprenticeship with us and their whole career with us. But they made me feel really welcome. And I think, as I said um, when I was at uni, I'd often go in and do holiday work on the delivery trucks or whatever, or work in the office. Every year I'd do something in the business. So I think people knew of me and um, had, you know knew that um, I wasn't afraid to uh, tackle anything. And um, as I said, they were all very welcome and um, they might have said things behind my back, but were always <laughs> upfront to me, incredibly uh, obliging. Well, I think one of the enduring uh, memories for employees, and these are the stories I hear, that working at RT Edwards was like your second family. How would you describe the culture and the loyalty between employee and employer and vice versa? I think that's something I give my dad and my grandfather for developing. Um, it was really truly a family. We did a lot of um, things together like um, social things, picnics, stuff like that there. But we, we had a lot of um, different generations of the same family work with us. People met their partner working for us. And it was just, you know, it was one of those things where we totally went out of the way that, um, you know, to know what our staff would, how we could support them, what they were going through. And it was just a, a place where um, even to this day, I'll still get up and, and um, meet old employees and, you know, their names of their wife, their family, their grandparents, their children, things like that. And it was vice versa. It was just a, a real just, a, a, you know, I always try to take that to other places I've worked since, just that you're all one family and people would know each other and welcome each other and uh, be proud to bring other generations into the family business. And how would you describe the overall contribution that your family made then to the fabric of the city? Oh, Alan, I, 
I don't know if a contribution, but I, I, it was one thing that my dad and my grandfather always um, impressed on me was, um, you know, like Ipswich has been good to us. We should be um, whatever we could do assist the um, city and be it in sponsorship, you know, from the small things to choirs or soccer clubs or churches or things like that. It was always much, um, my, you know, very much from my grandfather to give back to um, um, the, the fabric of the community. And often I, I didn't realise until when he passed away... I'd get these letters from people saying, oh, I just want to say thank you for your grandfather. He assisted me doing this or doing that. And I had no idea of some of the things over his years. And he always looked at Arteba as a, a vehicle to uh, assist a lot of people um, in the community. So it was probably um, ingrained in us to actually make sure that we were not a taker, but a giver to the community. I mentioned before there were other famous retailing families in the city mm-hmm. uh, during that period. Did you have much to do with them during your uh, time at RT Edwards? Oh, yes, we did. In, in some ways, there was, um, in Dad's generation, he had a couple of cousins in business. For example, one of his cousins was uh, Ross Llewellyn, and another cousin was uh, Garth Llewellyn from um, Action Realty, and another cousin, Ted Llewellyn, who had Llewellyn Refrigeration. So in a family-wise, and then one of my uncles owned... Um, Thorn Furniture, and another Edwards married um, Kingston Wallace. So there was a, a, a little bit of, um, and that was Leanne Edwards. Um, so there was, just in family-wise, of some relationships, but I always put it back to that Dad took over from running R.T. Edwards when he was 19. He still actually hadn't finished his apprenticeship. And he always said that um, my grandfather at that stage was um, had been elected Deputy Mayor of Ipswich, and he then decided in his 40s to go into full-time church ministry. So he told, said to my dad, I'm going into ministry. I want the business to um, support me and to actually, um, while I do that. So, and dad from a young age was involved in a lot of like rotary, probably younger than normal into business. And so I think in a lot of ways, he grew up with a lot of business people. So it was, it was men and women that um, were life, lifelong um, friends. And a lot of the names of the people that he had relationships for many years, right from a young age. What period would you call the golden age of retailing? Alan, I can only talk from the period I was um, there. Dad always um, says that he got a guy from Eric Foreman who worked for us for about 25, 30 years that we bought specifically from the UK to help service TVs when TVs first came to Queensland. And Dad went to Sydney to actually see the first broadcasting of TVs. And he goes, this is going to be something big. He always remembers that when TVs first came out, Eric would be there helping service. We We could do it right from the beginning. And He's got photos of people would bring in their chairs on the footpath watching TVs and he said he would have set up the window and he said often he'd get a phone call saying, could you come down and change the channel? So that was with with TVs was a big um, jump off. But I always remember also when Colour TV came in 73 and I remember again, my dad and my grandfather, we gathered at Ipswich one time just to see the first broadcast and it was Channel 7, it was on the buses, was the first test of a TV um, in colour. BTQ Channel 7, Brisbane's liveliest channel, welcomes you to Seven's wonderful world of colour. Colour television, a whole new era in visual entertainment. And another first for Channel 7. Oh, it's a great life on the bus. Oh, it's a great life on the buses. There's nothing like it, you'll agree. Just take a ride upon the bus. eras of the um, colour TV, the VCR, the DVD, and just that we were really um, fortunate to be involved. It was a dynamic industry that there was always new product coming out all the time. People had an appetite for um, you know the latest and the and the um, 
what was happening. And I actually had the opportunity once to go to um, Japan with Panasonic, and they'd often tell me that um, Panasonic sales were only about one or two percent of their world sales in Australia, but they often released things early in Australia because Australia was a very good test market, and I think that gave us an opportunity. Um, we we love that um, excitement of new product all the time that was being um, launched. And how do you catch your own big night like this? You can preset this national up to two weeks ahead, and it's pro quality all the way through to the national TV set you watch it on. What more could an entertainer want? From national, the big entertainers in home video. There's no doubt about it that each decade had its own must-have appliance or gadget, and you've listed some of them there. But I imagine it began maybe with electric fridges and washing machines, something as simple as that. Absolutely, and that, that's probably one of the things that really helped us get established in Ipswich. We ran our own service department, which is quite unique in the way Dad had this philosophy that anything we sold, we could service. So we had a lot of um, washing machine guys and um, refrigeration technicians and things like that. And that, you're right, there was an era there. I mean, the products were built to last. Like some of those ones, you know, people would complain in those days that the fridge was only 25 years old and they were updating it. And I remember talking to some customers that would have lifelong um, um, appliances from us that they'd bought, you know, when they first got married and they will just change over then. But you're right, there was there was some dynamic changes in um, those um, home appliances at that stage. The Twin Tub Hoovermatic. It swirls clothes cleanest, it whirls clothes driest, and it does both jobs at once. In the washing tub, Hoover's exclusive boiling action pulsator swirls sudsy water through and through the clothes, getting them boil clean. In the spin can, the clothes are double rinsed in clear water. See the Hoovermatic washer at your Hoover retailers. 126 guineas. Peter model, just seven guineas extra. By the 1990s, you were well entrenched in the business. Mm -hmm. uh, Pre-widespread internet use and online shopping. How has retailing changed back then and in the 2000s? I think the big change that was um, happening then, Alan, was um, um, just choice. And I go back to my, um, I remember when um, I met one of the guys who took over, um, who worked for us for many years in our furniture store, Brian. And he said that when he first started, there was four choices of vinyl, black, green, red or blue. And I, I guess it was, you know, you go into a lot of those eras, even the washing machines, there were very few choices. And in the 90s, the choice just escalated from both the um, Asian products and the bringing a lot more from America and things like that. We had a huge selection of um, choices. And I think that made the size of the stores change dramatically, the um, customers' expectations, and just the, the you know, you were, to be competitive in retail, you had to pick which ones you were going to choose and do it well. I know one that... Um, for, for example, Samsung, we were the um, one of the first retailers, it was just us and David Jones sold Samsung in Australia. They came to us and we were ones to often look at some products. Before we'd um, sell products, we used to put it through our service division and get you know an independent report from our guys saying, is this easy to service, does this make sense, and things like that before we sold it. So one of those ones in the 90s, there was a lot of new, um, I think Samsung came to Australia in the late 80s, but in that 90s and 2000s, there was a lot more um, choice of um manufacturers and suppliers coming to Australia and it made a very exciting time in choice of products. The decision to sell the family business must have been an emotional time for the family after 77 years. What were the discussions that went on in the lead up to making that final decision? 
A very good question, Alan. I, th- I think the, the the big one was um, at that stage um, we were probably turning over in our retail side probably about 125 million, and I remember sitting down with um, just um, our financial controller, my dad at the time, um, mapping out. We were growing by adding new stores, but. It was becoming incredibly competitive. The internet was starting and, the, and short store sizes were changing. And we always did a strategic plan saying we'd either have to grow exponentially, not just by the size we're going, to be competitive price-wise and things like that. And you could see a change. We were in retrovision and we're the largest member of that, but I could see the changes happening there with other players coming. So we wrote a strategic plan that either would have to grow exponentially or look at you know where would our strengths be. And we never put our business on the market. It was in on the one day, and this is a story that I could give you in more detail, on the one day within a couple of hours, we had two independent people ring us saying, would you be interested in selling your business? One rang me, one rang my dad, and he was out visiting one of my stores, and when he came back, I always remember, uh, I went to see him about an issue, and he was just getting out of his car. I said, Dad, I need to tell you about a phone call I got. And he said, no, no, I need to tell you about a phone call I got. And so we both compared notes, and um, and we then just um, um, prayed about it and going, okay, what is the future? We could see... Um, where we were going as an organisation and um, it just became that it was the right time that um, to move on to the next um, phase of um, retailing. We could see, I guess because of some of the industry things we were involved in, we could see a rapid change going to happen in the next five to six years in retailing. Well, you eventually sold to a uh, South Australian company and on the face of it, uh, after they took over, the retailing operation appeared to be travelling really well. What do you think went wrong? I don't want to really comment in a lot of detail. They had probably a different emphasis from us. They concentrated very much on the um, on the um, rental side, and we were probably rental was one just one part of what we'd offer. And I think that I probably won't say many more comments on that. Alan, they they probably had a different focus on what we would see with with the retailing. And I guess got to say we did it when we thought from customer service in our era and they obviously had a different um, philosophy the way that they looked after retailing in um, after us which is as I said that's almost um, 12 years ago since we've um, 11 years ago since we exited the business and retailing's changed a lot since then. Mm. No that's fair enough. Now your personal reaction to the final closure of those stores that were bearing the Edwards family name when you had no longer control over the situation that must have been a a tinge of emotion there? It was. I remember that um, when they phoned us to before it was announced publicly they wanted to um, you know brief us on it and things like that and that's one thing they did the whole time after they um, after they acquired the business they did treat the name with respect probably I know some family members found it hard seeing our name up there when we no longer control how it was used or things like that and so some family members were probably in some ways very relieved that the the name was probably not consigned to history, but it was probably um, filed away that because there was good memories up to that point of time. So it was a tinge of sadness when I went there, but also I can understand where they were going from. You just have to look what's happened in retail in the last um, 12 months and what's happened to other um, key retail players. Well, the name Edwards hasn't disappeared from the business register entirely. Uh, less profile in the public is Edwards Property Group. Now, you quickly transitioned to a major owner of commercial property over a, a wide area. What was your role then? Uh, yes, look, we, I was trying to look at a strategy of um, where we go forward. We sold the business, but we kept all the assets. And so we diversified into, not into development side, but into um, rental side with a lot of our properties. And I think being a, um, before that, we used to own properties, but sometimes we used to rent off many other people. And I think it gave us an empathy for various businesses. And we were, I was really proud. We helped start, a, um, not start, but help a lot of new businesses with their first rental and things like that. And I think because we'd come from that 
hands-on thing. We work very closely with a um, couple of businesses getting started and we've kept all our properties within that southeast um, corridor and it's probably given us an interest to still stay in both retail but broaden out into other areas. And we've still kept, um, as I alluded right at the beginning, my dad's always had a love of um, cattle. So we still um, have um, two of our, one of my brothers runs it with another um, cousin actually, cattle properties around um, the Ipswich area. So we've still got about 1,600 head of drought masters on about 10 or 12,000 acres around the Ipswich area. So we're diversified into a a probably not as high profile, but still um, things that we enjoy doing. In recent years, you've gone out on your own again. It's almost as though you've come full circle from merger and acquisitions in the US. You're now CEO of a major aged care provider. Mm -hmm. So do you still have any day-to-day involvement in the family business? I still keep in touch very much. Yeah, so, um, and I still talk to my... um, Two sisters and brother are still involved in the business and I still keep in touch with them on a very regular basis. They keep me informed on what's happening and I give my input and um, it's working really well like that. You're right, Church of Christ is my full-time job. I'm based at uh, Kenmore. I now have um, 3,900 staff, Alan, as part of our organisation. So we're into aged care, retirement village, home care, child, youth and families, affordable housing, and we have churches as well. So it's a diversified, it's just um, probably on a different scale than um, at RT Edwards. One more word about the Church of Christ to role as a CEO. Just briefly tell us how long you've been in the role and what the next couple of years holds. I've been, I was um, chair of the board, Alan, um, for, I was on the board for eight years, chaired for six, and I'm just coming up for two years as the CEO. We've gone through, a, a, in the period that I've been involved, a period of um, renewal with our um, five, six new um, facilities, probably spent almost $150 million. Um, we just opened one last week in um, Boona, Little Mountain up on the Sunshine Coast, uh, development down at Lady Small site that we have down the Gold Coast. So we're going through looking at um, our assets and making sure that we give not only the best level of service, but where we can afford it to upgrade um, our physical um, facilities. And I guess in the um, in the aged care side, we've um, there's a Royal Commission to Aged Care. So at the moment, we're making sure that we're all up to date, giving the highest level of um, clinical support to all our residents. But I think um, when that report comes down, I think it's been now delayed. It was supposed to be November, but early next year, it'll give a bit of a, I, I believe it, probably change in direction and funding for aged care coming going forward. So I'm very much worked through with the board. The last two years has been expansion. This at the moment, get everything working to the best um, possible um, ability, all our um, facilities, and to look at what the market will be doing in um, 2021 on. Gary Edwards, really appreciate your extended time this morning and uh, the conversation. Thanks for talking to Ipswich today. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Alan. All the best. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. You can subscribe for free and share this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio, or play Ipswich Today from your smart speaker. Suggestions are welcome for future interviews and topics. Just go to the Ipswich Today website or Facebook page and leave a message. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. Additional audio sourced from YouTube with copyright held by the respective owners. This is Alan Roebuck. Thanks for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? 
Please share the love on your socials.